back. We're back. We're truly back. This is Drew, and the distraction is coming back live for the first time in over two years at Littlefield in Brooklyn, New York. Join us at Littlefield on Wednesday, October 4th for a live show that you won't want to miss. We'll have special guests, live fun bag questions from the audience, we'll remember some guys, have some gratuitous sandwich talk, and so much more, and we'll do it all with you. We're so excited to bring the flagship podcast back to the live stage. So get your tickets now at the link in this episode's description. One more time, that's Wednesday, October 4th at 7.30 p.m. at Littlefield in Brooklyn, New York. Get your tickets now at the link in the episode description. See you there. We're back, we're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew, that's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are things? You all right? Yeah, it's good. I went went on a date uh, to the Beetlejuice musical. We got kicked out for being... A bit mischievous during the show, but oh. my God, did we have fun after the fact. That's what great. A- I've heard great things about that touring production. It's coming to my small city, and I was hoping that I would go with someone that I just met and just see what develops. Yeah, you know, my dalliance was caught on camera with uh, mm. with this lady, and uh, and people said I was getting a hand job in the theater, but she was just grabbing my package, not a technical hand job. So I just want that clear. <laughs> this is we're not going to go over this again. Can I take the listeners behind the game for a moment? <laughs> this the recording of this podcast was delayed due to a debate. I would describe it as a heated debate. <laughs> About whether what was happening at that Beetlejuice musical counted as a handjob because it was over the pants. This is uh, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who got kicked out of that musical. Everyone knows who gave the handjob, Drew. It's my job as host to give background on the story. So she was there. She uh, she was grabbing her date's package. She was vaping. She was probably being like, woo, because there's no way she was sober. The big three. Yeah, and they were like, they were like, get the fuck out of here. So then they got Vaping, out. Vaping, whooping, and hand stuff. Yeah, but anyway, I'm just saying that the dick has to be out for it to be a hand job. And I'm not saying that, I'm just saying that on a technical level. I am not being purient whatsoever when I talk about that. That's for when I get off the air. <laughs> yes, you're being precise. I think we're all aligned. That's why the over-the-pants adjective was right. affixed to the word hand job. Yeah, but yeah. that's a that's a contradiction in terms like jumbo shrimp that doesn't. Okay, I'm just. It's like, like or military intelligence. Nobody's ever pointed out that that is a uh, uh, a contradiction in terms. So what so is it? I, so what would you? We can also stop talking about this if you'd like. But I, what, what I didn't would think you, you would advance it? the conversation past this. But so if it's not an if an over the pants hand job can't exist, then what? That's did fondling. we all see. It's just you're, fondling. You're, you're fondling. Yeah. All-purpose fondling, just in all-purpose fondling, yeah, the fondling foreplay. Bucket. It's foreplay. That's what it is. Okay, I, 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 right. See, I got you to agree. It's, it's it's foreplay. It's what it is. This is Drew's writing advice to young writers: Do not use adjectives. Find yes. the precise noun. Only connect at the Beetlejuice musical with the person that you barely know. I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm editing my. My daughter's college essay, which has nothing to do with hand jobs. <laughs> yeah, and, good. And, really, one of the more interesting segues in recent memory. Great. Right. <laughs> On my specialty now is really awkward, shitty segues, but I keep <laughs> taking out the adjectives and the adverbs too. I'm not like an anti-adjective and adverb guy, but like when it when you have a word count of like 600 words, and a college is like, "Well, just tell us your life story in 600 words." Yeah. You have to be pretty economical with with w- the words that you're using. So the first thing that goes are adjectives and adverbs, particularly if they're like, if they're very boilerplate. Yeah, very extremely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like like good, 
really like <laughs> all all the words that I use right now way too much. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, someone could do that to my writing and all of my blogs would shrink down to 600 words and then be like really clear what I think about, you know, Elon or whatever. But that's that's the fun. That's where I'm adding the value. So have you edited it to the point where it sounds like Michael Mann dialogue now? Like, is your article coming off really hard boiled? Well, that's the problem is that I'll I'll edit it and I want it to be her writing. Right. But like I will. At one point, I was just like giving her verbal notes like i was saying okay here's this 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 and this and then eventually because it was a google doc like i just started editing it as if i were a professional editor and i did not know her so i was editing it and sometimes including bits of copy so i'm looking at and i'm like okay this is pretty good but does it look like a professional put their hands on it because the people who are evaluating this are probably going to know that the father is a professional writer. That's, yeah. I mean, that's almost kind of my hope where they're like, well, I don't give a shit about this essay. It's Drew McGarry's kid. She's in! Like, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, you have to be careful that I, I, have a, I can only imagine how many times they've looked at an essay and been like, well, the parent wrote this. Like, yeah. <laughs> or, like, I mean, at this point, they probably are people that you can like hire to massage it and like either like, oh my God, rework yeah. the copy or whatever. But are you kidding? What a fucking racket. I'm, I'm editing my kids and I'm like, I should charge thousands of dollars to do this for just random shithead kids in the neighborhood. And a bunch of like admissions essays to Brown that just randomly have the word boosh in them yeah. now. <laughs> 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 Oh, and uh, speaking of awkward, terrible segues, if you'd like to hear more discourse like this in person, <laughs> Roth and I are going to have a live show in Brooklyn at Littlefield in less in Brooklyn, than two New weeks, York. October 4th in Brooklyn, New York, 7.30 p.m. on the dot. And uh, you can get tickets in the episode description of this podcast. Uh, so do that because... We've already sold a good number of tickets. You never know if they're going to sell out. And uh, wow, I really, really did the whole used car dealer pitch right there. Yeah, I you should act go. now. Uh, uh, you know, because- if you if you want tickets and it's sold out, I might have to go to my manager, see what kind of strings I can pull for you. But ah, you know. geez, <laughs> I, mean, I tried. To, I already offered you the true quote. So let's talk about let's talk about sports, Roth. It's time oh, oh, wow. for the NFL okay. injury of the week. Brought to you by Ace Bandages. Nick Chubb of the Browns, mm. Roth, had his knee explode in the red zone on Monday night, and when it happened, uh, he was down. He clutched his knee. It didn't look good. And Joe Buck said explicitly from the booth, "We have the replay. We are not going to show you the replay." And they didn't. And a bunch of people on Twitter were like, "Well, that I, that was a good move. I'm I think that was a responsible thing to do." May I? argue against this with you you for a may few i may argue against you arguing against it to some extent but yeah try it okay i think that first of all journalistically it's malpractice something happened on a football field you have footage of it it's newsworthy show it to me that's the job i don't give a fuck if a five-year-old's watching like they can cover their eyes like it's not really that hard secondly how much of your news is sanitized already? Like, how many bodies did you see in news coverage of the Iraq War or the war in Afghanistan? Did you, how many, like, how much footage did you see? Like, compared to, like, what Al Jazeera or the BBC will show in their news coverage, it's nothing. It's a fucking cartoon. And we're filtering that all the way down to football games, just infantilizing the shit out of our culture, not letting them see anything bad because, oh, like, God forbid, like, 
juniors watching or some shit like that. So I got a serious problem with that. I'm with you up to the part where it starts to lean into like a pussification argument, which I know you're not making, but I think no, that there no, is. No, no, no. Okay. Because I think that there's, in general, like, to me, this is a this is a taste level uh, question. And I think if they decide that it's hideous enough that they don't want to show it, it's not like, you know, you need to see, uh, you know, Sean Livingston's kneecap on the wrong side of his knee or whatever. If you saw it once, you remember it forever. There's images of it. It's bad. In this case, I think what's weird about it, and this is the part where it kind of gets my back up, even though I think it's okay not to show it, is uh, a little bit of vintage smarm from Joe Buck vis-a-vis the decision that they're all making. It was a little bit of a disgusting act. I feel uh, like it, yeah, I feel like that used to be like an every week issue with him, and it is much less so now. I don't know if everybody's just chilled out or if it's the sort of thing where he's gotten the like the guy fietti reappraisal where everyone's sort of like you know what honestly he's not that bad i like it I could wrote, be worse i wrote a year ago that i love him i, I love joe buck yeah I think he's great yep and i remember you know i remember writing at when i was at sb nations this is like probably going on 10 years ago writing about what a, a miserable postseason presence he was in baseball and he was terrible at that time i think and he's this was more like that version of it where I think he w- what he was reaching for and then he stopped reaching for was acting like he knew what direction everything was going in and then trying to do the like voice of God narration as if he was like watching reality on a seven second delay, you know, and was able to sort of anticipate where things were going to go. He doesn't do that as much anymore. Now he's just a guy with a pleasant voice and a, you know, decently self-deprecating sense of humor, which is a great rebrand for him. Yeah. But this was like the sort of thing where I don't know. I feel like the you don't need to like make it about you. You know, that's the part of it that I think I'm kind of like uh objecting to in the the Bucky and presentation of that. Like there's a good possibility, I mean like a real possibility that this guy's career just ended. You don't need to be like fucking showing out about how like virtuous and like on top of your shit you are as a broadcast. Like talk about Nick Chubb if you're gonna talk about anything. Or go to commercial break if you can't, you know, like... But. There's a few things. One is, yes, I'm not making the pussification argument. What I'm saying is that if you don't show the footage and you just tell people what happened, you are not getting the full impact of the news. You aren't. Yeah. It's not, you're not absorbing it on a visceral level. Very much by design. It's the same thing as what you were talking about with like Iraq or, you know, like showing war footage. It's the same right. deal. I mean, like, you like got a that's... thing, you got to sell. You don't want to show the parts of it that are not something that anyone would want to buy. Right. It, like, And I know it's a real reach to go to like war and stuff like that, but I'm just saying that you need to see these things and it's okay to see things that disturb you or you don't like. And you can warn people. You can say, look, we're going to do a replay. Uh, it is graphic footage. Cover your eyes if you like, you know, avert your gaze and that's okay. And the other there's, and then there's, there's two other things. One is I'm 46 years old. I cannot begin to tell you how many broken legs and torn ACLs I've seen as a sports fan in my life. I've seen so many legs and arms bend the wrong way. Or I'm the like, most macabre oh. remembering some guys. I have like yeah. a little pantheon of like all the shitty stuff that I've seen. Like Marcus Lattimore, to... guys that like I shouldn't remember except for as like yeah, Napoleon McCallum, all yeah. like all that shit. Sucks. Like everybody remembers it. Like Maxim Magazine used to have spreads of it. Like I'd be like, oh wow, that's a really bad broken ankle from from the EPL, which I don't watch. Like I like it was all <laughs> shit like that. The point is that like I am grown up enough to watch that. And not 
and not be utterly traumatized. Now, there are people who like they may they've 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 torn their own knees up, you know, or their their kid tore their knee up, and it's very upsetting to them. And I understand that, but that is the inherent risk of watching a football game because people get hurt. And so when you don't show someone getting hurt during a football game, you're doing the NFL a favor. And also you are not evenly applying the standard because I watched the replay of DeMar Hamlin dropping dead on a football field many times last year. What is the difference between that and seeing a guy's knee get wrecked? I don't think there's any difference. I see yeah. the concussion. I see it whenever a guy gets concussed, like Anthony Richardson this past weekend, when he banged his head on the turf, they'll show that on a replay 500 times. You know why? Because they want to communicate, okay, the NFL is really serious about concussions, so this is what a concussion looks like, and we think that's bad. This but- is the thing that's interesting about this, because th- this happened, obviously it's not something you're going to hear during an NFL broadcast, which is because it's like sponsored by the NFL and done to enrich the NFL and their broadcast partners. But this happened the same day that the NFL itself filed a grievance against the NFL Players Association saying that running backs were conspiring to fake injuries. Right. They could, which is, I mean, obviously, like, it's not. There's no merit to it. It's embarrassing. And it all peg, it's all pegged to some sort of Zoom call that they were all on where purportedly they were like getting together like a bunch of fucking Dick Tracy villains to talk about like their plan to uh, rip off Mr. Ursay for all his money that he earned, um, you know, through hard work. This is like the disproof of that. There's not a fake injury in the NFL. There's no reason to like real injuries are coming, you know, down the line. You don't know how many games something terrible like this could happen. Yeah, and in what world is Josh Jacobs going to get a fatter contract because he faked having a hamstring pull? Like, right. like what team is going to be like, oh, oh, he means business. We better give him double the money. That's not how that works. If no. you're injured, they pay you less. Everybody knows what the gambit is there, too, and it sucks. I mean, I, don't, I can't believe that the owners would want to have it be talked about more, but they seem it's the same. I was talking to... Um, at the birthday party that we had to our buddy Brandon Nix was there and about the Saquon holdout. And it was the idea that these owners all seem to have with running backs. It's the same thing that you see all up and down the culture where they realize that they can get 65% of the production at 10% of the price. And they're trying to do that. It sucks. It sucks when you get it as a customer service experience. It sucks when you get it buying something from Amazon and it doesn't work or it's broken. And in this case, the idea of doing it with these athletes that really are like one of one per generation type guys trying to lowball a Saquon Barkley or Nick Chubb or Jonathan Taylor, like all of these guys, I mean, I don't like generational. I don't know about that, but there's like, 10 or 15 people alive that could remotely do the stuff that they do. Yeah. And Saquon got hurt too. Yeah. Yep. We got lucky on that, man. That was, uh, <laughs> we can talk about the giants. If you'd like, I'd find to not do that. Well, they, want, they, they came back from 28, seven down to beat the Cardinals. They did um, on Sunday. How did you feel? Were you elated, happy, uh, indifferent? Well, so, you, sound, you sound so so pleased. I always do. That's my that's what I bring to the broadcast. But the the thing that was confusing to me watching that is that so the first half of that game the Giants did not score. The entirety of the game against the Cowboys, uh, and this may be the sort of thing that looks slightly less bad over the course of uh, time because the Cowboys have been absolutely 
whomping the shit out of everybody all year long, and they look incredible. That They've is only played Dallas. The- That's a, a beginning of the season thing for Dallas. Yeah, just want that. It's also there. they're playing the Jets and the Giants. Like literally, yes. they have not beaten a team that does not play like fifteen miles from where I grew up. Like we'll see what they do against a team that doesn't have to deal with uh, being in New Jersey and eating the all Parm diet that I'm sure all NFL <laughs> players do. The uh, the Giants looked as bad as they could possibly have looked um, for long enough that, like, by the start of the third quarter, I was like, this is actually it. Like, everyone's going to get fired. Like, And so to see them start to play more like a normal team, even if it is against a Cardinals team that is doing everything short of actively trying to lose a football game, uh, they're just spunky enough. You saw this last week against the, the Durs. Like, they're barely an NFL team, but they are enough of an NFL team that uh, they can keep it close against a team that isn't good, as I think the Giants are not good, and I think the Durs are also not good. There's still, like, it was, <laughs> there's, like, a latent reflex in me that, like, if I'm watching the Giants coming back in a football game, I'm like, fuck yes. Like, whatever else it is that I, whatever else it is I want. I'm, if I'm getting that, there's still like a gland in my brain that fires and it makes me happy. That means you're you a know? good fan. That, yeah. That's what that means. But I, there, it, there's still a lot there that was very frustrating about them. I and they were, it felt like they were allowing like 13 yards per play for the entire first game and a half they played. That is a rough type of football team to watch. It is. And it was better than watching the Dallas game, though. So. Yes. I mean, the Dallas game was unbelievable. Like that was really as big an ass-kicking as I have ever seen in an NFL game, like, up to and including Dan Orlovsky on Thanksgiving, you know? Like, there's, like... Right. Of all the the worst games that I've seen, I've never seen a team that was supposed to be good get beat down like that. Yeah, yeah. It was... It was... It was Actually, probably the last time I saw it was when my team played Dallas and got their asses kicked a year ago. I was gonna say, like, if we're doing... If we're doing brother check-ins on the first two games of the NFL season, uh, how, are, how are we hanging? You all right? Uh, we don't... I, like, and I'm not saying this as a being dismissive of my team, but we have talked and I have written about my team plenty. Let's let's spare the audience right. that and let's talk instead about college football because the hottest thing in college football right now, as you know, as the yep. entire fucking earth knows. Yep, USC's is- Caleb, Will- what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say Coach Prime. Oh, Coach Prime. Yeah, I've heard about him. That's the, yeah. He's uh, the same as Deion Sanders, right? The old football guy from before. That's right. I cannot escape Coach Prime coverage and discourse no matter how hard I try. Game day went to Boulder last weekend. 60 minutes went to Boulder last weekend for a game against Colorado State. 60 minutes. Colorado State, a nothing game. So Ed Bradley, you know, he's out there. He wants to, He's wearing an earring and he wants to talk to Dion. Is Ed alive? No. He's not he's not alive, right? I don't think so. I think all the all the sixty minutes people The original formula guys, I think, have all passed. They're either dead or canceled or Leslie Stahl. I think that's I think that's <laughs> yep. um should I root uh for Colorado and Deion Sanders? Uh so I'm not rooting for them in the sense that like I'm now a University of like Colorado fan. Yeah, no, I know bit you, that, by swag or anything. Like Tom that. Lay is is working on a character that I hope we will get to debut where he because he did go to Colorado, where he's like singing the fight song and like being annoying about it as if he's always cared about Buffs football, but no one has cared about Buffs football since fucking Bill McCartney was there, uh, which is normal. I find that where I'm landing on Dion, who I loved as a player, but have 
absolutely detested as a uh, post NFL public figure. I just think he he was pretty miserable. Uh, I think he's a great character. I think that that's kind of what college football runs on. It's not a hundred percent my shit, but that his capacity to like cut promos and annoy people is earned in a way that like it like Tebow was a main character in college football too, but I never got well, it. Also he was a, he was a boring guy too. Deion Sanders is not a boring. Yes. Person. That's what I was going to say is that, so everybody would like get themselves all spun up about him. And it was like watching a bunch of people argue about a big pint glass full of whole milk, you know, <laughs> like there just was not a whole lot there to hang your hat on. Whereas like Dion is fucking great copy. Like he's going to cut some promo a couple times a week about whatever it is that they're doing. And he will authentically deserve to lead a news cycle for 24 hours off of that. And I guess you got to tip your cap on it. Where do you, do, are you like all in on it or do you find it annoying yet? Well, the thing is that like, if I am not watching Dion and I only think about, okay, he bought the most obscenely disgusting vanity pickup ever. He ranks his children. Ranks Ugh. his children to their faces. Oh yeah, he tweeted Awful. it. He uh, he was um, uh, he was arrested for misdemeanor assault against his ex wife a decade ago. He ran a bogus high school. I was hoping he you'd is, mention that. I yeah. hate that shit. Charter school fraud is like jail for a thousand years. Like just yeah. a vile and truly American crime. So he he is. There is a um. There's an evidentiary record of him being a shitty shit guy, but he yeah. goes on camera and he is fucking magic. He was like, um, like he's, he's doing the whole thing with Colorado state uh, head coach, Jay Norvell. And he's talking to his men. He's like, they, they had to go and make it personal. And he's wearing the glasses and he's got like all the Dion shit on. And I'm like, fuck, I really, and, and, and his team is fun to watch. Like they've yeah. got like his kid, is a like a really exciting quarterback, even if he's small. They have a two-way player who just got hurt, but he was a two-way player, and that was super fun. Like they are, and and it's nice to see a different team rather than the same motherfuckers you see right. at the top over and over. Like I can predict the playoff field right now. Like yeah. it's it's Georgia, it's USC, it's the winner of Michigan, Ohio State. And then it's some wild card blue blood. So it's, but Bama. it's like not going to be a wild card. It's going to be like a program that like you already think of, if you were like listing it. It's just like the one that's TBD. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And if it's like, if, it, if it's a Cinderella team like TCU, they get their fucking ass kicked when they, if they get to the national title game. So right. that's not all that optimal either. Yeah. This is the thing where I think like you gotta, um, you do gotta hand it to Dion that like so much because that is the way that college football works. The apparatus that covers it, or at least the mainstream one, it's not like Spencer and Holly are wasting their fucking time on this, but that like the, so much of it is spent trying to create some interesting wrinkle to people that are not interesting. Because it's the coaches are the ones that are there all the time. The players are great, but they're like, it honestly is kind of depressing to think about the way that college football athletes work and live and how they're sort of treated. And so you wind up with this like attempt to sort of like retroactively appreciate the personality of people like a Nick Saban type who is like intentionally for work reasons, bleached his personality out of existence. Like it is <laughs> just, <laughs> it is work. And then like, yeah, it's the fucking little Debbie snack cakes or whatever. But the reason that I know that he likes those is that there's no other attribute there that you can talk about beyond the fact that he works all the fucking time. 
Right. And so Dion actually, you don't have to do that. You don't need to like make up some shit about how he's interesting. He is interesting. He's an interesting character. And it's not like other college coaches have the moral high ground over him. Like what? I'm going to root for fucking Mel Tucker instead? Like, right. Like, how's that going to work? It's like, it's, I'm really, it's really, you know, pick whichever evil does it for you. Pick your, pick your favorite villain and then go from there. So yeah, that's kind of the fun part of, of watching this happen too. Especially when you mentioned TCU that I guess like, uh, Colorado also beat Nebraska. Matt rule is coaching there now. So there's enough of these sort of <laughs> yeah, characters. Matt rule sucks. But it has this like pro wrestling, like where they're trying to like get Dion over by get setting him up against a bunch of guys that you like sort of faintly remember. You're like, Oh, Matt, the, he was the guy whose thing was like, he ate the turnbuckle. Right. I never loved him, but all right, let's see what happens. And then like Dion body slams him and wins that like he's getting Norvell was a classic example. I don't know who the fuck that guy is. No, but he, he did start it. Like he did he say did. some stuff. He's like, so, well, when I when I meet another adult, I take off my hat and glasses. Like he's from nineteen fifty fucking two. Right. Like it's so hard to like if you've seen the the video or like even just read the quotes. If you're like reading that at home on your computer, the impulse to boo in me is overwhelming, and I'm just reading it. I'm like, I hope something bad happens to this guy. Like not a permanent injury, but like maybe he loses on TV in front of everybody in a humiliating way. I should note uh, also there's something we we haven't discussed because we are two white guys, but there is also the factor of uh, Dion, a black man, uh, becoming a head coach in a profession that has been not just predominantly white over the years, but extraordinarily so. Oh yeah, like like as bad as NFL minority hiring practices are, college football is somehow even worse. It's also like culturally white. You know, like in the way that there's a certain type so of white. the way that like when you see like a pickup truck and it looks like the face of a man who is halfway through saying fuck you like that stuff, like that element of like energetically white. Yes. And I think that that's what like sort of where college coaches wind up uh, all sort of like conforming to one general like agglomerated mass of vibe that it is all like that, like sort of stern wealthy visor wearing like and you know Dion is the opposite of that in I'm sure he's very stern and he might wear a visor at some point but it's the same sort of uh it's just the exact opposite polarization yeah no I I I think but I I think there is something that you and I can't get at in terms of uh the racial divide in terms of culture on on this that I think I think our own Israel uh Daramola wrote about it to a certain extent on Defector, he wrote about Coach Prime really, really interestingly. And I think that there is more to be had in that vein of discussion about him. But going back yeah. to just us, I'm still I'm still of the mind that I'm watching this team. They're really fun. But like when they play SC in two weeks, I kind of want them to lose 60 to nothing. Because by the way, SC is not boring to watch. At all. No. They are fucking fun. So if they get killed by another fun team, I can't really. It's also really. like, it can't go on like this forever. Like the, And I will say that so far, it has played out beat by beat as perfectly as you could have scripted it. Right down yep. to like nearly blowing it against the Colorado State team that was not nearly as good as them. That's right. At like 2 a.m. in the morning. The other thing we have to note is Dion's health because he's not a healthy man. He's had serious foot problems. He's had toes amputated. And you could tell, I think our own Dave McKenna watched the whole game because he is psycho enough to stay up 
late enough to watch it. Yep. And he said by the end of that game, Dion was like gassed. He had no energy. So whether or not Dion can actually continue coaching, and there's a very strong likelihood that he bails on Colorado the second that he can, right? He's going to go to the fucking SEC and just live there for the rest of his life. But whether or not he can do that for another decade or more than that, it's it's debatable. So it's almost like watching a a, a candle burn real hot, real fast. Yep. Not the experience, not a way you would describe watching any other college football coach coach. Yeah, that's right. It as Israel wrote, there's there's no one else like him. And there won't be anybody else like him. Right. People can try to copy him, but they they won't. And that in and of itself It makes it that much more embarrassing that anyone ever tried to talk themselves into like Lane Kiffin. <laughs> you know, the, like, because that's like the the second most interesting guy is just being like the it's like William Zabka from Karate Kid. That's like he's a if shit you, heel. When you get rid of Dion, that's what you have. And he's being sued by one of his own players for, for being a shithead. Right, yeah, yeah, right for now, calling him like a mental midget when he was like dealing with depression or whatever. Fuck out of here! Like, like you don't have to. I think Israel made a. He wrote, I think, one of the best and most economical paragraphs about how a bad thing is like Trump and then didn't make a big show of it. But there is like a similar energy in terms of, you know, I feel bad for the country, but this is tremendous content sort of energy. Yeah. Dion has that. And like, it's good to note it. You don't need to dwell on it because it's just college football. And that yeah. is, uh, I think right on, but it also is like, it is just college football. You don't need to convince yourself that like, Mike Leach benefited from this too. That like all of these just like kind of <laughs> shithead guys or something other than shithead guys. It's fine. Like when you get a real character, you know it. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come right back. Uh, this week's episode, I should note, is brought to you by Fall. Now Ooh. exclusively only on YouTube. Remember Fall with the crisp <laughs> air and the changing leaves? Well, thanks to climate change, it doesn't exist anymore unless you have YouTube. Yes, just enter the word autumn into their search bar and it's like climate change never happened. That's fall. This fall, only on a screen. We'll be right back. <laughs> The Distraction is sponsored this week by Blue Land, manufacturer of eco-friendly cleaning products. They are on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet. Their idea is simple. They offer endlessly refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Just fill your bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. You'll never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies on your grocery run, and refills start at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about using. Right now, you can try Blue Land's new limited edition hand soap kit with scents inspired by the national parks and our shared goal of leaving no trace, featuring Joshua Tree, Zion, Sequoia, and Glacier scents. Blue Land has a special offer for distraction listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash distraction. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash distraction for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash distraction to get 15% off. And we're back with the guest-free episode of The Distraction. It's me and Roth. Roth, last week, the NBA instituted a player participation policy, or 
PPP. We all love those initials if mm-hmm. we uh, happen to dip into the government trough during the pandemic. The player participation policy was invented by the league and agreed to by the union as a way of preventing the league's best players from taking regular season games off for the sake of load management. Like we're, we're familiar with like LeBron sitting for a game or two because it's, it's a long season. They get fucking tired. You and I talked to Chris Bosch about this, right? Yep. So now under this policy, uninjured players have to suit up for games. In a single game, teams cannot rest more than one player who has been named to the All-NBA or All-Star team in any of the previous three seasons, and no more shutting down star players at the end of the season, as the Blazers did with Dame Lillard a year ago. So now, here are my questions for you, Roth, really quick. Do you think this policy means anything? Because remember, teams can't rest more than one player uh, in a game. They can rest one of them. They can't do more than one. So is this strictly optics because the NBA is preparing to negotiate new TV contracts with the networks? I think it's driven by the TV contracts, but I think it's also it's it actually kind of has like a NFL rulemaking feel to it more than anything Ooh. else in oh, the sense that good. it is an attempt, a very convoluted uh, administrative attempt to solve a problem with a very easy solution that the owners wouldn't like, which is that the season should be shorter. The team should play two games a week. You know, Yeah, they'll, like, they'll never do that. They'll, they'll never do it. And that's the problem with this. I mean, I like I know that that's not something that's going to happen. But if the season were shorter, the regular season games would mean more. The players would be fresher by the time the playoff comes around. And I imagine that the TV deals would continue to be very lucrative. Like in this, I mean, part of what, I mean, obviously there's a lot of reasons why the NFL is the juggernaut that it is, but scarcity is one of those that there's like only a few days a week, even now as this, as the sort of schedule has metastasized to include the Thursday night football carbuncle, uh, there is still like a real value to owning these days of the week. The NBA could do that, but they're not doing it. Like they could still have, you know, games on ESPN and TNT all through the week and make the schedule less punitive for the players. But that's just not, they don't even want to give up the gate. Like it's kind of embarrassing to me. And so stuff like this, I guess it might work. I don't know. I mean, in the sense of it's like, if it's really that important to you that like Paul George play in the late game on TNT in January, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, but that's what you're getting. Like you're doing all of this rulemaking and tinkering and all this rulemaking and you're issuing all of these demands to teams that, you know, have all kinds of conflicting interests vis-a-vis their players. And it just feels like a um, not a solution in search of a problem. There is a problem. It's just also, it's not the solution that actually solves the problem. It is possibly the sort of solution that becomes a problem in itself. Does that make sense to you? Like, what do you think of this? So what I think is when I read that the union was aboard with it, and when I read that the TV contracts were coming up, it all struck me as a boondoggle where the you know, Adam Silver got together with the union heads and said, listen, we're going to make a shitload of money from these contracts. All we have to do is pretend for a year that we want, that all the players are going to play when they should play. So let us do this. Let's, let's, let's institute this bullshit policy and you can still rest guys. You just have to stagger how you rest them and then we'll be good. And the union was like, fine. So I think the second that they sign those new contracts, they will stop giving a fuck at all about this policy. That is what I... I think because I mean, that makes sense because, because it's easy to get around because, and this is my other question for you. It doesn't seem like there's anything to stop a star player 
from simply playing like shit. Like if if it's all stars that are eligible uh, for this the enforcement of this policy, well, maybe I don't want to be an all star anymore. Maybe I play just ten minutes a game and then go. Oh well, my knee feels a little tweaky. And then I, I take mean, a seat and I, I won't have violated the policy, but I will have also preserved my my health in the interim. Yeah, I mean, I it's hard because they're competitive guys and that's, you know, every team is trying to win a game. But I do also feel like there is enough wiggle room to make this stupid that like maybe that's the part yeah. of it to look forward to, you know, because it's not like by the time you get to the end of the season, if there's like some fucking Blazers game on or whatever, you have to wrestle with yourself as an adult is that how you want to spend a few hours of your time that's true if Lillard's playing or not you know like the the playoffs are coming you could just take that time with friends and family or you could watch them play the Pacers at 10 30 p.m eastern again I do up to you. Uh, I do think that the the no end of season tank job thing I don't mind that like because if no. I am a Blazers fan and and they sit Lillard for 10 20 games or whatever just to the for the sake of doing it like I like even if my team isn't going anywhere, I want to see my favorite players. Like that's just that's why you're a fan. Like it's not always necessarily to win a championship. It's just I want to be with my team and my whole team. So I'm not necessarily against that. But again, I think that there's enough wiggle room in here for fuckery to be about, and that will be the entertaining thing. Yeah, that's the, where the NBA never lets you down. You know, sometimes you watch a game on TV and it's just like the Clippers bench guys playing, but there's always some extra dumb, you know, super narrative going on. And that, uh, you know, got to give them credit for that. I think they come by it honestly. Can I say one more thing about this? Oh, Eric's here. Yeah. Hello, Eric. Hi. Yes. So, yeah, I do. I am a basketball person. I care about this. What I think is really interesting is that it's about all stars and not about and not about like the NBA 75, like things like Russell Westbrook is now outside of this. And he is decidedly why people would buy tickets. Sure, he's not like good anymore. But you know who is an all star? Andrew Wiggins, who got again, who only became yeah. an all star because Bam Bam, uh, a pop, a K-pop star was a Golden State Warriors ambassador and got a bunch of people to vote for Andrew Wiggins in the first place. So it's like if All-Star continues to have fan implications and it's relevant to this, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. That is a good point because we all know All-Star games and Pro Bowls, like the, those voting mechanisms are inherently flawed. So it, yeah, it is It is funny in, in that regard. And like, also, I guess... and. This is probably, there's already an answer for this, but like if everyone bails on the all-star game and then there are like 50 all-star alternates, like, like, do they also count too? Like, like, is it, is it, am I going to, if I'm LeBron James the experience and I of like, you game, can't sit Mo Williams in this game because it's like, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I like that. Like I, uh, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of potential fuckery all about. So let's, uh, let's transition to more fuckery with Elon Musk who floated the idea this week probably not for the first time, that he'd like to charge everyone on Twitter to use Twitter, but all Twitter behind a paywall. Roth, will he have the stones to do this? Oh, I mean, he says a lot of stuff. Does he ever, man? I feel like this is one of those things where it's clear he's not like a... This is is funny, too, because I've had people... I've written a bit about Musk, and they're like, yeah, it's like you really just transitioned uh, seamlessly from Trump to Musk. Like, i just writing about, like, a very powerful person that I personally dislike, in a in a you know massive <laughs> way, and who doesn't uh, like the pairing of words Trump and Musk together? 
Oh, you know? that's what it's all mm. about. That's why I wear the fragrance. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's just ham. Just smells like ham. The uh with Musk in this case, like he wants that website to be a place where he has access to people's money. He wants it to be the everything website he wants, which is amazing too, because it's like it doesn't work. Like if your bank was constantly showing you ads from like anti-vax wellness influencers you would stop banking there that's what it's like to be on twitter now it stinks but he wants every account to be attached to a credit card or a bank account i get that it's like very obviously what the gambit is here i just think he is for one thing he just says a lot of stuff you know that he doesn't right. know how to do or doesn't at this point have like literally the the people on hand to make it happen for him. Certainly if they did, it would be janky and busted and uh, not reliable. But I also feel like this is one of those deals where he's, he's continuing to nudge the site in a direction that the site does not necessarily want to be nudged. And I will say that on a, I don't want to like cry about how sad it is that Twitter's not good anymore. Um, I found it very easy to stop posting there and stop looking at it much easier than I thought it would be. It stinks. And like, and that's him. I will say, and I, uh, and I said this on Blue Sky, um, but I, it was just this past week, I, I toggled my mentions to only people who I follow, and I don't follow a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So really, I don't see a lot of mentions at all, or, or if any. I'll see, I'll see like two mentions a week. It's been fucking wondrous for my mental health. Like yep. my, like a thousand voices in my head, gone. And I feel fucking amazing. I still tweet, and I, I tweet like no one's replying, and that's the best way to tweet. And it yeah, I see. I great. used to love doing spoofs and goofs and bits and bants with all the different people. I follow a ton of people on there. I've never curated my feed. Like I always, I liked the stepping in front of a fire hose aspect of it, <laughs> but it's not fun anymore. Like the fire hose is full of fucking vinegar and like chunks of concrete. Ooh, like the one ooh, thing that chunks. you would give. Mm, real those are real chunks that you got to give Musk credit for is that like he for whatever reason set out to surface the most obnoxious servile um embarrassing people on the account that that's like what he wants the discourse to be like and you see it like it feels like that the conversation is like turned in the direction that those people would turn a conversation and anybody that's ever been to like you don't even have to have like been to a party like this is people who like if you were on a bus with them you would not make eye contact with them that is not somebody you want to interact with so yeah as long as you can limit your mentions which you can still i think that there's like rules about you know they would not be permitted to get rid of that function like per the apple store rules they ruin the search function too because like if i search for justin jefferson i did this i searched for justin jefferson and like the top results were all him endorsing trump which did not happen. Yeah. I don't require a fact check for that. A buddy of mine posted the results yesterday when he did like the most mundane possible search on there for the thing that Twitter used to be good for about the fucking F-35 that is possibly as we record this flying unmanned over the Atlantic Ocean until it runs out of gas that he was looking for like basic information about it. And because of the way that they've like turned the whole site upside down. It's just fucking weirdos being like, something's not right here. Like, uh, I suspect George Soros. Like, just the most miserable fucking, like, not even, like, misinformation, disinformation, just, like, cheesy engagement bait from people with very severe online brain damage. Like, absolutely not the thing you want. 
It's just that it's useless. It's not that right. it, I mean, it's hostile and like, and gross, but like, it's just fundamentally, it's not giving me anything. It's not giving me what I need. Right. And it's, it was always me, a little hostile and gross, but it also had like a practical use for people in our line of work or they just want to know what's going on as it's going on. Yeah. And that's it was, gone. it was important for me as, and remains important to me for news, but the search function news wise hasn't been, you know, has essentially been destroyed of its utility. To me, it's clear now, um, both from what Elon's been doing and also from Walter Isaacson's uh, biography of him, which I have not read and will not read, but I've read the reviews of it. I want to say two yeah, things. I'm in One that level that, where I've read enough reviews of it that I think I could maybe say I've read the book. <laughs> but yes. Well, so I think Elon didn't really buy Twitter for Twitter. He bought it for its user base. He wanted its user base so that he could, because it was already established, and then he could use it to uh, make his everything app, which almost certainly will not resemble Twitter, or if he has his way, won't resemble Twitter in any shape or form. It's going to be some sort of weird retail site. And I don't even know what the fuck it's going to do, but all he wanted was that customer base. That's what he was paying for. And I don't think he knows how to transition from, you know, the sort of wild West social media website to something that is more Amazon-like. I don't think he knows how to do that, but we are witnessing him butt-fucking his way into trying, right? The other thing is that the Isaacson, bi- Isaacson biography, I read Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. It's a fantastic book. It's fucking great. And the reason why it's fucking great is because while Steve Jobs was a bastard, a real and true bastard, he was an interesting person. He was an accomplished and interesting person. There is every indication, both from the reviews and from Elon's actions himself, that he is not an interesting person. He is an no. unremarkable man who has done interesting things but none of it, there isn't a person in there. Like there's like Isaac can get some scoops about, okay, well, he had a third kid with Grimes. You didn't know about that. He had a kid from another marriage who Oh, Technomechanicus. You're talking about Technomechanicus? Right. And like he has a, a kid from a different marriage who is trans now who will not speak to him and has disowned him completely and cut him off. Like, so there's scoopage like that. But we are still talking about someone who at his core is not an interesting person, certainly not in the way you would expect a traditional titan of industry to be, or at least you were trained to expect yeah, from I would the say likes of Jaws. Even in Jaws. that way. But yes, I think that's exactly right and really well said. But I think the what the caveat I would add there is that like even in a book that is about, I think that like the heroes of capitalism as a personality type, not people you'd want to hang out with. Not necessarily like interesting people in the way that you might choose like an interesting person in your life, you know, to hang out with. But I think you're exactly right that like beyond being unremarkable, Elon is like a cheesy preening compulsive liar. Like is you absolutely couldn't get good shit from him if you wanted. And I don't think that like whatever it was that Isaacson got, like all of the stuff you're describing or so much of the stuff that I've seen in terms of scoops, it's just like dumb shit that he does that hasn't been reported or like weird, you know, lies that he told that are now, you know, revealed as such. It's not anything where it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that about him. Like there's nothing to know. There's nothing to unpack. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not revealing and it's not when he's being a cock which is often, obviously, it's not interesting in the way that someone like Jobs is a cock, or even Tim Cook. Like, you've, you have probably heard the story about Tim Cook many times, where he's in a meeting, and one of his underlings is like, okay, well, you know what? Uh, you know, I'll go to China and sort out this problem. 
And the meeting carries on. And after a couple of minutes, Tim Cook looks at the guy and he's like, why are you still here? Why are you not in China? And the guy fucks off and goes to China, right? That's an interesting, it's, you know, it's very corporate and very- Yeah, you know, it's hero of capitalism shit, but at least it's got some color in it. Right, you know? that's right. Like it's it's a story. And yeah, like if we could talk about it as writers and not just as people that have to live under the thumb of these fucking dickweeds for the rest of our lives, like everybody else, it is like, at least there you're like, oh, wow. Whereas all of Elon's stories are about himself. He's too fucking selfish to do any of that. He's like, yeah, I sleep in the office. And it's like, well, who fucking cares, dude? Like, so does John Harbaugh. Or he just or he just breaks down to me and calls an underling an idiot. But like, well, I could do that. Like, right. All you have to, of, like, I, you're describing some, a car dealership owner. Like, this yeah. is just like a boring, I, shitty rich guy. Yeah, I need some flair to your evil doing, and then I'll be compelled. I don't think it's all that hard. And that is enough Elon Musk discourse, because oh, it's boy, time yeah. for the guy of the week, Roth. Every week we remember an athlete of yours. This not better not be of, Elon Musk. No, it's not. Not a Hall of Famer, necessarily. All right. Just a guy who makes you think, hey! I remember that guy. Oh. Guy of the week. You know, I should have picked someone whose name like was sort of close to Elon Musk. I can't think of anyone off the yeah. top of my head. But your guy Ray of the week, Lon it's Burks. Kenny Lofton. For your sake, it's Kenny Lofton. Remember that guy. Ralph. Love Kenny Lofton. You're talking about the baseball Kenny Lofton. But yeah, not, yeah. Cleveland uh, Guardians outfielder, Kenny Lofton. Speedy little bastard. He was you great. You know that there's a, a Kenny Lofton Jr. in the NBA that is not Kenny Lofton's son? You know what? It's I'm always, whenever I see that now, and it's not the progeny of an athlete that I knew from before, I'm always like kind of disappointed. I'm always like, well, I want to have that, oh, I'm old now feeling. Yeah, this is, I mean, there's plenty of that available too. What's great about the Kenneth Lofton Jr. in the NBA is that he's like this big soft body, like uh, stretch four type guy. Whereas Kenny Lofton was like one of the coolest, like skinny fast guys of his era. And a good college basketball player too. Kenny Lofton played at the University of Arizona. A lot of people no don't know that. Shit. Uh, by the way, producer Eric Silver is reminding me that Kenny Lofton was not little. He was actually quite a tall. No, no, no. I'm talking about the NBA player. Talk about Big Kenny, Contempo Kenny. He was like, he's like a big snacky. Big. He's like, what? His nickname is like Snackwell oh, or something. Yeah, that one. No, the, the right. Kenny, Kenny Lofton, the baseball player. Uh, he was awesome a little player, dude. Right? Like a yeah, small guy, super fast. Has a real Hall of Fame case. Like, we'd have to have Jay Jaffe on to make it. I can't do it. I just always liked him. The thing about Kenny Lofton that has given him a second life that makes me happiest is that he is one of the all-timer Immaculate Grid guys because he spent the last five years of his career playing for basically two teams per season. And he would just be one of those guys who would sign, like, a one-year deal with a team that, like, maybe had a shot, maybe they didn't. And then if it didn't work out or if some team needed him more, he would get traded to a contender. And so there's all these – I recommend, like, his baseball reference page is one of the great treasure troves of a guy looking more or less the same, but he's wearing, like, a Yankees hat. And you're like, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> like, he's – Kenny Lofton yeah. was a pirate. Kenny Lofton was all over the fucking place. I've had that with the football grid. Like, I forgot Kerry Collins was a Colt. For a cup Ugh, of coffee, really? I forgot Fred Taylor was a Patriot toward the at the at the very very end of his career. Like I've, I've also forgotten about those two, and those are guys that I like. Obviously, I have <laughs> done the ten thousand hours on Kerry Collins. Yeah, yeah, like those are guys that I feel like I know very very well, and yet I don't know them at all. Do you have memories of Kenny Lofton as a baseball player, or just as like a type of guy that he was? So I have no. I just remember liking him. I don't remember yeah. like a specific like home run he hit or anything like that yeah he was he didn't do like big dramatic stuff like that he was just like well, he played that, for like, cleveland how could he played for <laughs> yeah. cleveland played for houston but he was like a guy that hung out around 300 and stole a ton of bases and 
uh, play good defense. Like that's a cool type of guy to, to be. Time to open up the fun bag. These are real okay. questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. These are very Roth specific questions this week. Then this one's from Brian Roth. He says, we will be staying in Bar Harbor, Acadia for three days before driving back home. <laughs> asking for restaurant wrecks. Yeah. Yeah. My question for Roth, do you have any recommendations for places to stop and grab a bite to eat or perhaps a little roadside pit stop for an hour or so and any insight for what to get in bar harbor roth can you give him a i feel very, like this guy quick emailed me separately and i emailed him back but it might have been somebody else i get a lot of this which is funny because i am like if i have a brand it is like the new jersey idiot what says things wrong and instead people are sort of like top five crab rolls uh and this is just hancock county go ahead like i can kind of answer it but Bar Harbor's a, a bit of a mystery for me. Like, it's the one part of Acadia that we generally avoid when we're there because it is so densely touristed at this point that it's like part of the fun of going to Maine is not having to stress over parallel parking. And Bar Harbor is, you know, tough that way. Uh, Acadia, I love, I don't, I don't really know like one place to eat there that I've liked. It's called the gallery. I think it's in winter Harbor and it's like fun. They have like good beers and they'll like make you a taco. And you know, like it's not a lot of that is going on in there for the most part. This is like a function of how my family visits it. We go see my father-in-law who lives not near Acadia, but it's like, you know, you can drive it in less than an hour. And so much of what we do there is like pegged to specific treats that he and my wife care about. So like the place that I would tell you to eat, like a real can't miss in Greater Acadia is like the Dairy Queen in Ellsworth is very good. That's like where we actually wind up doing our business. I'll uh, I'll recommend Abel's Lobster Pound in Mount Desert. It's not in Bar Harbor proper, so you don't get the tourists. We drove by it. It's big. Well, all the lobster pounds are big, but yeah. It's that good? It's very good. So I'd recommend that. Can I do the real lobster pound wreck real quick, though? Uh, no. Young, yeah. Young's of Belfast. It's amazing. Oh. I paid more for a lobster roll there than I paid for any entree all of last year. I'm pretty sure I paid like $34 for it, and I have no regrets. It whips. Beautiful location. Stuff is always dope. Also, a uh, quick main talk. My my wife and I, like she, we wanted to watch TV together. She wanted to watch a show called The Lost Kitchen, which is on the Magnolia Network. Yeah, we have that lady's cookbook. Oh, okay. I watched this show and I think it was about 10 or 15 minutes in the episode. I was stoned, but I was like, I don't like this woman. And like with each <laughs> minute that progressed, the woman's name is Aaron French. Yeah. Started this, started this uh, incredible restaurant like near fucking Waterville in the middle of nowhere. You have to like, you have to get a reservation by sending them a postcard, yep. which is some we've really- tri- We've tried and it's never happened for us. It's some extremely precious, like pre-pandemic foodie shit. And like, and I'm sure the food's good and her story's really amazing and she fucking sucks. Like you can tell her <laughs> employees hate her guts. And wow. like when she's talking to the camera, I was like, I was like, this woman definitely has books that she's plugging. And sure as shit, my wife was reading her book like the next night. So I was like, Oh, I yeah, she has a memoir about like, and again, it's she's had a very interesting life. I haven't seen the show. I don't know. The cookbook is good, uh, but it is. Although, you know what? There's a recipe that I gave you from that cookbook and you were like, it needs alliums or something. There was like something where like you were like, oh, really? it's not enough going on. It was the mussels one that we do, which is very simple. Well, you know and why? Because like, you probably need to pick your own fresh goddamn mussels right. to make it work, right? Like it's like, well, just go out onto a rock and uh, reach into the water and grab them right off of it. Yeah, that. that does have the, that's like a real chefy thing too, where it's like, we just wanted to feature the product. And so it's like, well, I don't get 
stuff like you get it. Like I have to go to a place called Steve's Sea Town to get it. Like, and I get it from Steve. So it's not the same thing as me like prizing a mollusk off of a whole All right. cast. One more really quick it's from Lance. And he writes, a few months ago, you, Roth, were on the UCLA campus because I think your wife had business here. Yep. I happened to work on the UCLA campus, and <laughs> I got to thinking what might happen if I had seen you hanging out. How far could I have pushed an interaction with you before you'd had enough and pretended you had something better to do, like playing a game on your phone? How long would you have engaged with this fan, Roth? I love that. I don't think that there's a limit. I've not hit it yet. I mean, there's maybe there would be something, but like anybody that is demented enough to know who I am, I could probably talk to. Like, if you listen to this podcast and you're aware of my uh, sort of just long list of personality defects, like, and you still would want to chat, then uh, I think we'd be fine. Can I do two celebrity sightings from that, uh, our stay in Westwood? You better make it quick or we're up against it. So this is a good reflection of, like, First of this all, how is much not quick. This is more not together quick, my wife is than me. So she's walking around the campus during a break in the conference that she's at, and she and a coworker saw uh, Simu Liu from uh, oh, like the of the Marvel Fucking universe. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I uh, and this is more or less hit me harder than seeing Simu did for my wife. I saw Quincy Pondexter getting out of an Uber because he's an assistant coach at the University of Washington now. And I was like, wow, that's definitely Quincy Pondexter. Wow. This is truly the city where dreams are made of. You remembered some coaches. Good yep. for you. I Every time uh, I see a defector reader or distraction uh, listener out in the wild and meet them, it is, uh, it's frankly like seeing a friend. It's It's a great, great feeling. And I can't wait to see more of you. Yeah, at Littlefield, we'll say the same. The, our birthday yeah. party, awesome vibe. A bunch of people I hadn't met, and it was really great to talk to them. I got a blog idea from a guy that grew up in the same town as me, and told me that the game that we called butts up and played on the schoolyard was called at Chunkus. his school in the same town was called Chunkies. Yeah, I love it. Uh, that's you my favorite university in. Uh, New Jersey. Eric Silver <laughs> is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com. Let's go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-PANERA-0. Our voicemail box was conspicuously empty this week, so go ahead and fill it up at Red your Bulls leisure, and we will see you live in Brooklyn on October 4th. Get your tickets in the episode description of this podcast, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, Roth. Bye.